0: Romans chapter 1, the name of the message is God's gospel, God's gospel. Now the gospel is good news for sinners, good news for sinners. Romans chapter 1, we'll read the first seven verses of this wonderful book. Written by the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there are some portions in which we believers become very familiar with. One is Psalm twenty-three, very familiar portion of Scripture, and they're often quoted. There's even there's even certain portions of Scripture that are often quoted by preachers. We often quote sometimes the same portions of Scripture, and they become familiar to we who are the hearers. Also, there are some verses which we can read over. They're like a flyover verse. And and it ought not to be so, but, but it happens. And we can read that verse, and we can say, well, I already know that, right? We we all do it. Well, well, yeah. I understand what what's being said there. But you know, God has gems within His Scriptures. And I remember Norm Wells telling me the Bible study is like mining. You got to dig. And when you start digging, and that's what I'm to do, too, as a preacher, is start digging, right? Start digging. Well, these verses that we can sometimes fly over, a verse like verse 3 here in Romans chapter 1. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Well, we can read that and go, well, I know what that's saying. And we we can conclude that that's pretty easy to understand. But remember, the only one who's given us an understanding is the Holy Spirit of God. Because... I've told you I read the the scriptures before the Lord saved me, and it was just paper and ink. And for a lot of people who read the scriptures, it's just paper and ink. But for we who are the born-again, blood-washed children of God, when we read the scriptures now, it's like they're alive, eh? (laughs) Sometimes we read a verse that we've read a hundred times, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just illuminates that verse. And we get an even greater understanding of what it said. And again, only the Holy Spirit can give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Scripture says. So let's read verses 1 to 7 here. to Get the context, again, of the message today. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised before by his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we see in verse 1 that Paul is the one who's penned this letter. He's the servant of the Lord. Now servant there in the Greek means bond slave. And he's a willing bondslave. And that's what, the, that's what the Greek word brings forth, one who's a willing servant. So Paul says, I'm a bond slave, I'm a willing servant. He's had he's his ears, his ear bored, remember? The willing servant, if he wanted to keep serving the master, get his ear bored. Well, Holy Spirit does that for us, doesn't he? And we become willing bond Will Boy, i'm having a hard time we cut co- we become willing bond slaves for for the lord in the definition the thire definition is a slave a bondman a man of servile condition one who is in permanent relation of servitude to another so paul says i am a permanent bond slave of christ i'm a permanent servant of his and that's true of every believer and generally one serving, bound to serve in bondage. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Just a few books over there. Philippians chapter 2. Look what it says here in the Scriptures. In verses 6 to 8. Speaking of Christ who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Our Lord came here to serve God, to fulfill his law, to be a perfect servant. and was made in the likeness of man, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, it says there. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Think of, think of the humility of the Lord. He's in glory. Angels are worshiping him. And he comes all the way down to this world. And they're spitting at him. And they're cursing him. You talk about humility. The one who has all power has come and, and is a man. And put himself in servitude to the Father. And think of who's doing this too. It's the Word of God. It's not just mere man. It's the Word of God. We'll look at that later on. It's the Word of God. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He was sent here to die. He was sent here by the Father to die, wasn't he? To die in our place. And it says he was obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. My. Remember he said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Obedient, right, to the cross. Perfect. Perfect submission. And take note of of the words there in in, uh, Philippians. It says, and took upon him the form of the servant. Do you know this is the same Greek word which Paul uses to speak of himself and we who are born again? Servant. Christ was a willing servant of the Father. Having taken the form of a servant means appearing in a humble and despised condition. This is what our Lord did when he became a man. So marvel that the word of God, the second person of the Trinity, became a man. Let us be in awe of this. This is a mystery. God himself became a man. The second person of the Trinity became a man, took upon himself the form of a servant, a willing servant to save your soul, if you're one of his people, and to save my soul. That's why he did it. This is bring it right home, right? He did that for us. He was motivated by his great love for his bride. And it is God in the day of his power who's made Paul a willing bond slave. Paul was out there trying to destroy Christianity, remember? Trying to destroy the people of the way. What happened to Paul? He's born again. He had a divine encounter, didn't he? What happened to us? We were at one time, we might not have been cursing God with our with our lips, but we sure were by our actions. Right? By our sinful actions. We have to be honest with each other. We're sinners just like everybody else. And so by our actions and our natural state, we were saying, no God. We were saying, no God, I don't want to follow you. What made, it, what, what made us change? Nothing we done. right? The power of the Holy Spirit of God. By his regenerating power, he made us will and bond slice. Now we want to come and hear the gospel preached. Now we want to come and hear about our Savior. Now we want to read the scriptures. Now we want to pray. We desire to do those things, don't we? Oh, what a great change God has done by his power and by his will. It was his will that we're born again. It was his will that Christ came to die for us. that he humbled himself. And then we see here in our text here that Paul is a called one, just like every believer. He's separated unto the gospel of God, just like we are. Look what it says here in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. That's a calling of God. That's not just saying, oh, he's Paul the apostle. That's a calling by God. That's an effectual calling of God. We saw that in the road to Damascus, didn't we? And every one of us who are believers, at one time or another, we're called under the preaching of the gospel. And we believe. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, well, uh, first of all, the, the word apostle there means a delegate, an ambassador. We're called ambassadors for Christ. But an apostle is, there's no more apostles. Don't If people say they're apostles, they're lying. There are no more apostles. None at all. But he's a messenger. He's a sent one. He's an ambassador. And you know what? The ambassador can, can never be greater than the one who sends him. The ambassador can never be greater than the one who sends him. Oh, we, we humans get puffed up, don't we? So easily, filled with pride. Our master is Lord of all. He's the great one. <laughs> and we confess that, don't we? We confess that he's Lord over all. So the ambassador can never be greater than the one who sends him. Listen to this verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. That's an exhortation for us to stay low. <laughs> to never forget the rock we were hearing from. Don't forget where you came from. I'm a son of a son of a trailer mechanic and and the, the son of a housewife. From a small town in Canada. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the pit God took you out of. And that's for all of us, right? Don't forget where we came from. Like Donnie Bell says, don't get bigger than your britches. Right? It's true. We need to just know where we came from. Know where we were when the Lord found us. We were lost. We were dead. The gospel, it says here that, that, that Paul separated unto the gospel. The gospel we preach is God's gospel. It did not originate with man. That's what it says right here, right? Separated unto the gospel of who? God. The gospel you and I believe did not originate with man. People say all the time, "Well, oh, it's just a bunch of men wrote that I was looking at some comments on Yahoo the other day, and some guy says, oh, the Bible's a fable. I'm thinking, yeah. But I was, we were all there. We were all unbelievers at one time. We may not have said that, but we're just as guilty as that person. But the things that people say about our God. God, I've mentioned this in Sunday School. You know, God's the one who has the power to save and the power to destroy. He's the one lawgiver. James 4.12 brings that forth. He is no one to be trifled with. He's He's all-powerful. And his gospel is nothing to be trifled with. It's his gospel. It's his plan of salvation. All we as men and women are receivers of that. Mercy and grace. It's incredible. And the Greek word for listen to this too. The Greek it says he was separated under the gospel. Do you know the Greek word means to set a boundary? Separated. Separated from the world. Separated from religion separated to believe the gospel of God's grace. I was thinking about that last night and just how how incredible it is that we believe the gospel when we didn't at all before. And now we've been, we've been separated. We know Paul's been separated from his mother's womb. Talks about that in Galatians 1 15. He was He was separated to bear the gospel to the Gentiles which is Acts 9.15, and he was separated by the Holy Ghost, which is Acts 13.2. We are all separated people from the world. there being a boundary. To set off a boundary. To set off by boundary. <laughs> Those of you who have a gardens, you've set a boundary, don't you, around the garden, right? There it is. Do you know the scripture tells us that we're, we're like a garden fenced We're like a fenced in garden. Protected. Watched over by the great gardener. He waters us. We're plants and think of this. I I remember one preacher, I think it was Hawker, said that we're plants of all different all different kinds of plants. Personality wise. Nationality wise. From every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. Isn't that beautiful? One gardener. One gardener who plants the flowers. One gardener who keeps the flowers. And one gardener who says, I going to take that to my house. And it's going to be in my house forever. Oh my. It's God's gospel. And Paul was separated under that. But this is also in reference to his determination to preach the gospel. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is one book over. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He Paul was determined to preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look what he says here. Now remember who Paul is. He's a... He, he sat under one of the greatest teachers of his time. So he's probably well-versed, well-spoken. But he speaks where everybody can understand. We preachers speak, seek to speak in common language. I'm not going to use many fancy words when I preach. Some people like that. I'm, I'm not like that. I want I want you to understand what i'm saying because i'm just i'm just like i said i'm I'm just a normal guy who the Lord saved and called to preach and look what Paul look at the what Paul says here, and I brethren when I came to you came not with excellency of speech now he could have spoken with excellency of speech, obviously he says i didn't come that way or of wisdom he didn't speak of the Supposed worldly wisdom that he'd learned. Declaring unto you the testimony of God. So he's talking here about preaching, about declaring the word of God. He said, for I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Look at this. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man. But in the power of God. That's the key. I love reading theology. I love it. But I'm not going to stand up here and speak like, like I'm reading a, theo- a, a book of theology. There's words in there I've got to look up myself quite a few actually but but why not articulate the gospel in a way that we can all understand right that 's what 's important that 's what paul 's bringing forth here that he 's separated to preach the gospel in in all he 's determined to do is preach god 's gospel which is concerning the Lord Jesus Christ it 's god 's gospel he 's the author of it He's the executor of it. He's the subject of it. And he's the revealer of it. And the gospel means glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Glad tidings of salvation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Now we come to our next point. Look at this. That God's gospel was promised by God's sent prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Look at verse 2 which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So God in his Holy Scriptures, of whom he is the true author, promised by his prophets, those who he inspired to write down these words, these sent men, that the Messiah is coming. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 53. The Lord Jesus Christ is the promised seed of the woman. He's pictured in type and shadow all through the Old Testament. He was clearly spoken of here in the book of Isaiah. We're just going to spend a little bit of time on this, and then we're going to get to verse 3. Look at this, Isaiah 53, verse 3 to 6. Speaking of Christ, he is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's us in our natural state. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He's the sinless one. We're the sinners. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one in his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sin was transferred to Christ, placed upon Christ, right? The sinless one bearing bearing the judgment of God, the wrath of God for the sins of all his people, all the elect. Now I'd like us to consider verse 3. Again, this is one of these verses on the surface reading. We can, we can conclude, well, I know what it's saying. May God spur us to dig deeper into the scriptures. You know, we have a wealth of resources right now available to us. There is a site I use often called Bible Hub. Excellent site. If you, if you get a chance to use it, it's an excellent site. It's got commentaries, you can go verse by verse, it's got sermons, old sermons by old preachers, and I just like it because it, it, you can really dig into the Greek there, you can, and you can also bring a bunch of commentaries up, so that's just something for further study if you'd like to do something like that. It's excellent. Let's read verse 3, and, and then we we'll are unpack it a little more as we see several points of our study in this wonderful verse of scriptures. Look at this. Romans 1, 3. Now remember, it's, it's, we've already seen that the God, the gospel's God's gospel. It was promised in the prophets, in the holy scriptures. Look at this. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So we see here that God's gospel is concerning Jesus Christ our Lord. And who is he? Well, he's God's son. So, so far we've seen that the gospel of God originates with God, verse 1. It was promised by God in the Holy Scriptures. We see that in the second verse. It was delivered by God through his prophets, man of his choosing, by the Holy Spirit of God. We see that in verse 2. The promise of God is found in the holy inerrant word of God. Again, verse 2. And in here we see the gospel of God is concerning his son, who was God incarnate in the flesh. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So again, we see in verse 3 that the gospel of God, God's gospel is concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Therefore, we can conclude, then, that the central theme of Scripture is the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture is all about Him. It's His story. History is His story of what He's willed. So the central theme of the gospel, God's gospel, is in regard to Christ. The Greek word there for concern, concerning means to regard. To regard. He is the central theme. He is the hub of all the scriptures. And this is what Paul was bringing forth when he said, for we... We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then note in this verse, so the gospel of God is regarding who? His Son. His Son. Now this speaks of the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's speaking of his deity, his Son, God's Son, the Word of God. Then we see the words Jesus Christ. This speaks of who he is to his people. He's the Savior of sinners. Jesus. His name shall be Jesus. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So, first we see a reference to his deity, him being God's Son. And now we see a reference to who he is to us. He's our Savior. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Then we see Christ brought forth here too, right? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We see Christ here, means Messiah, or anointed one. And then we see, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord there in the Greek speaks of one who has sovereign authority. So in this title right here that we see, we see it speaks of his deity, his son. It speaks of who he is to his people. He's our savior. It speaks that he's the Messiah, the promised one in scripture. And it speaks of his supreme authority and power. He's Lord. He's Lord. This is who the gospel of God is concerning. It's not concerning 50 ways to lead a better Christian life. Or how to have the best marriage in the world. Those things will come, right? The the way a man and a woman act who are born again, truly born again by the Holy Spirit of God, there be a better husband there'll be a better wife. You don't have to have these things how you tell them to be that way. We have a hard enough time just resting in Christ, don't we? And we know we can't go out and go crazy. And no preacher would ever tell you that. We grieve for our sin. We sin more than we want to. Because we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Now we have a war within us. So this gospel is concerning Christ. It's in regard to Christ. It's all about him. Again, the Greek word for Lord there speaks of God as the supreme Lord. Speaks of him as overall. So we see then that the name Jesus refers to his saving his people. The name Christ designates that he's the Messiah in his being anointed for that purpose. And the name Lord speaks of his sovereign authority. Let's read the verse again. It says, concerning his Son, speaks of his deity, Jesus, our Savior, Christ, the Messiah, our Lord, the Sovereign One, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now see those words there, which was made? Listen to what Weiss, the Greek scholar, says about this. He says, was made in the second arius Parcipable, signifying entrance into a new condition. This was made is one word in the greek it speaks of a new condition it speaks entrance into a new condition turn if you would to john chapter 1 it'll see, we'll see it right here before us because the same words there was made of the seed of david the same greek word is mentioned over in john chapter 1 That Christ was made flesh. Same Greek word. Look at this. Look at this in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. We will see God the Word in his eternality. He is the Word of God. And then we will see him become something that he never was. That's a man. He was the word of God became he, before he came here. He wasn't a man. He was the word of God in glory. This is the great marvel of the fact that God became a man to save our souls. He did this willingly, beloved. He did this willingly. Look at this. In the beginning was the word, speaking of God, the Son. God the Father, the God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Look at that. He was with God in eternity. He's God. Because it says in the Word was God. The scripture says there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. They're one. The same was in the beginning with God. So this is speaking of eternity. All things were made by him the word made all things and without him was not anything made that was made now look at verse 14 here the same greek word that i that i said signifies entrance into a new condition is used here john 1:14 and the word was made flesh entrance into a new condition he wasn't a man before he came to down to this earth he was the word of God in glory it says here that the word the one spoken of in verses 1 to 3 became a man entered into a new state or condition how? by assuming a human body and the word was what? made flesh and dwelt among us he became a man He put himself under human limitations. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. This is the word of God. Marvel at this. He became something he never was. And you know why he did that? God can't die, can he? God can't die. But man can. So, the, so our great God becomes a man to die in the room and place of his people. Isn't that amazing? Wonder of wonders. And this is God's gospel. This is God's good news to sinners. It says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. John saying, I saw him. He dwelt among us. He sat at the table and ate with me. I laid my head upon his breast. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he's full of grace and truth. Flesh here refers to the corporal part of of men, our physical bodies. The word became flesh. John one one we clearly see that he was in eternity. The word was in eternity and then became what he never was. He became a man in verse 14. And now, what is he in heaven? He's the God-man mediator right now, isn't he? That's what he is in glory. Brother Henry said, Brother Henry Mann said in one of his sermons, the word of God became what he never was, a man, when he left heaven to be born in a body prepared by God. And he returned to heaven He returned to heaven as a man, the God-man mediator. Scripture says this, for it was not possible, but the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. That's over in Hebrews chapter. Turn there if you would, Hebrews chapter 10. We'll look at that quick, Hebrews chapter 10. Do you know God prepared a body for Christ? Isn't that amazing? That's what it says right here. Hebrews chapter 10. The word of God became a man. That he might die for you and I as believers. And again, all we preachers are doing is telling folks what Christ has already done for them. The work's finished. It's accomplished. He did it all. And God is the one who regenerates. God's the one who who gives us faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this though in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 4 to 7. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. All those Old Testament sacrifices couldn't take away any sin. Wherefore, when it when he cometh into the world he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. Look but look at this But a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume excuse me, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. He's a willing bond slave, isn't he? He's a willing he's a willing bond slave of Christ. And now the Lord Jesus Christ has returned to heaven as the God-man mediator. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And now he mediates for you and I as believers. So Christ, again, is the central theme of the gospel. It's all about him. He's the head that gives life to the members, the root which renders the branches fruitful. You cut off a branch off a tree, it's going to wither and die. It must be attached to the trunk or the vine. It must be. In order to be fruitful, it must be attached to the vine. Must be. We can't do nothing without him. He told us that, too. We can do nothing without our king. And believers are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus under good works. Christ is the end and object of our obedience. Why? Why do we obey God? That God might be glorified. (laughs) That the Son might be glorified. And accordingly the scriptures speak of the beginning and the continuation of the life of believers all being derived from Christ. He is our life. We live and breathe and have our being in him. Never forget that. He's the holder of all we have. And all we are. So we see in the first part of this verse, the deity of Christ, the word of God, brought forth in the fact that he's called his son. Let's go back there to Romans. Chapter 1. We'll read verse, verse 3 again. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So we see again his son in reference to his deity. He's the eternal son of God, right? He's the eternal word of God. Then we see his humanity brought forth with the the statement that he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now here we see the wisdom of God displayed in the whole dispensation that was related to the Messiah, who in his human nature was prophesied and promised, which we see in verse 2 in the Holy Scriptures do you know that modern-day Jews cannot tell which tribe they came from? They can't. They cannot tell. Remember Henry saying that one time in a message, he said, they cannot tell what tribe they came from. God in his providence, though, had our Savior born in a time when they were still able to trace the lineage. You ever think of that? He had him born in a time when they could still trace the lineage of each tribe. And it was prophesied, right, that the Messiah would descend from David, king of Israel. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 89. And I'll read, I'll read the Isaiah 7.14, which says that he, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So he was to be born of a virgin. And we see over here in Psalm 89, 3 and 4 that he was to be of the seed of David. Look at this. Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. See law. Christ was of the seed of David. To Abraham it was promised that the Messiah should spring from him. It says, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now the promise was still general then. And then it was limited to the tribe of Judah. Scripture says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Then David, the servant of the Lord. Look at this in Psalm, turn if you would to Psalm 132, look at this. I did not see this until I did this study. Look at this. This is, this is amazing. I had one of those moments where the, I'm checking to see if the ink's still dry in my Bible. This is incredible. This, Psalm 132, verses 10 and 11. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away thy face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn away from it, or of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Robert Haldane brings forth that as the period of his birth approached, the promises concerning him were more particular and more restricted. The wisdom of God was pleased in this manner to designate the family in which the Messiah would spring from, which was David's. And David's Great, 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 great granddaughter was Mary. (laughs) Oh my, the seed of the woman, the seed of David. My, oh my. And our Lord was sent. He came into this world at a time when the Jews could still identify which tribes they came from. Isn't that incredible? And in AD 70, when the temple was destroyed, it was all lost. My, oh, my. We see divine providence at work, don't we? We see his sovereign hand at work. Christ came at the exact time all according to our great God's eternal purpose. I want you to think about something here. The Greeks, before the Romans, were a mighty empire. And they conquered large swaths of land all the way to India. Large swaths of land. And the Greek language became a universal language. Kind of like what English is today. And in God in his providence rises up the Roman Empire. Now the Roman Empire, they extended their empire even further than the Greeks did. All the way to England, up into Germany, fighting the Gauls, Spain, down into Carthage, down into the Middle East. Huge swath of land. But they kept the Greek language. So much so that historians say the Greeks conquered intellectually and the Romans conquered militarily. But that Greek language was kept. Why did they not just implement their own language? Because that wasn't part of God's plan. Then Christ comes into the world during that time when that empire is vast. And the New Testament's written in Greek. Greek. And that gospel spreads like wildfire. Oh, the mighty providence of God. See, we don't always understand what he's doing. But there, he had all that set up so that his gospel might just spread right across that empire. <laughs> and it did. And then it went even further, beloved. <laughs> oh my, isn't it, isn't it wonderful how God works? So Christ came into the world at the exact appointed time. Wonder of wonders. Let us marvel at how much truth is conter- er, contained in this little verse concerning his son, regarding, that God's gospel is regarding his son. The word of God. Our Savior, Jesus. The Messiah, Christ. Who is Lord, sovereign over all. Who was made, became something he never was. He became a man. Why? To die for you and I. To die in our room and place. All his people, all his elect of all the ages. Why? That we might be with him forever. What motivated that? His love for us his great love, his mercy, his grace. Let us marvel at this this week. Let us rejoice that God has said, mercy upon we who are in Christ Jesus.